0: I've been traveling everywhere recently from home to Los Angeles to Chicago for the all-star break. And trust me, I know how tiring traveling can be, but whether it's traveling for business or vacation, I know a five hour energy shot can help me stay alert and energized wherever I'm headed. And it can help you too. Five hour energy helps you get through your crazy on the go life with zero sugar, four calories and a convenient portable size. It's the perfect pick me up for a busy, hard-working person. And now it comes in two great extra strength, tropical tastes, strawberry banana, and Tropical Burst. They're delicious, and they can take you on a tropical on-the-go experience. You can try them both and then go online to shop5hourenergy.com the number five hour and use the code HOOP to receive a one-time offer of 10% off. That's shop5hourenergy.com and use the code HOOP, H-O-O-P, to receive a one-time offer of 10% off. 5-Hour Energy, energy on the go. And speaking of energy, our Adrian Wojnarski had a ton of it on Saturday when he was in front of an audience in Chicago for a live taping of the Wojpod. pod. Clippers guard Patrick Beverly, the ringers Ryan Rossillo, and our own Jackie McMullen joined Woj on stage. And so definitely want to check out that episode. And you can find it here or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's the third floor of the Players Hotel here in Chicago. It's All-Star Weekend. Brian, what is everyone doing on the third floor?
0: So there's a car wash, essentially. Um, there's a bunch of different conference rooms that have been transformed into miniature studios. And the players, um, mostly the Rising Stars players and the participants in the three-point contest and slam dunk contest, come through here and they sit down and they do things with NBA for social media, with ESPN, um, with some other of the league media partners. And it's kind of surreal. They, they close, they seal off all the windows to make it dark. Um, We're in the room from 8.30 in the morning until 5 at night. So you're just sort of sealed in this room. Um, uh, There's multiple cameras, light setups. The room is very dark other than the light setups.
1: So after that day was over, Brian, one of the interviews you called out was with Miami Heat rookie Tyler Hero. Can you explain what was so interesting about that?
0: Yeah, well, Tyler, actually, I was fortunate to talk to because um, he was actually a day late. He had been stuck getting back from Miami, getting into Chicago because of weather. So luckily I got to talk to him, and um, he limped into the room. He was at a, he had a walking boot on because he's dealing with a foot injury that has really kind of derailed his rookie season right now. And some of these folks come in with five, six, seven people, kind of an entourage. Um, Tyler came with one person, so it was low-key. And um, he's, he's a very intense young man. It's not the first time I've met him. Maybe he's just intense because of the moment. He's very intense. He's a huge uh, Kobe Bryant fan. He grew up on Kobe Bryant. He was born in 2000. So um, uh, he doesn't really know a world without Kobe in, in, in the NBA.
1: Obviously, Kobe's uh, top of mind, one of the many topics that uh, everyone's really talking about at All-Star Weekend. For
0: sure. And I I asked him about his favorite uh, Kobe memory. Um,
2: I mean, all the game winners and stuff. Um, but I mean, I liked... I think it was Matt Barnes had faked the pass that one where he didn't blink. Flame stop is my favorite moment.
0: Okay, I I appreciate that you think that way. You know you've seen the footage like for above when he didn't actually put it in his face. It was like the camera angle.
2: Really? So like. Oh man! Don't even tell me that. that's not so, my favorite. Uh,
0: well, I don't want to. I don't want <laughs> to spoil it for you. So pretend I didn't say anything. But like so Barnes pass it on the side like well, like it's it's incredible, right? Like, yeah. like anybody would you know throw something at someone's right. face, right? Yeah. So Barnes was kind of. On the side, okay, and Kobe was actually faking the other direction oh like if you saw the o- there's an overhead shot of it, and Barnes yeah. is actually to the side, not in front of it. oh wow, <laughs> nonetheless, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I don't no, want to shatter no, the, uh, yeah. so pretend like I didn't say anything All
1: right. I remember after that interview finished and you said you had this amazing interview with Tyler Hero, you just shattered this young player's worldview of Kobe Bryant. You basically told him that Santa Claus doesn't exist. But it didn't really sound like that based on the audio.
0: Right. Well, so after we got up from the interview, um, I said, you know, there is video evidence of the Matt Barnes thing. There's an overhead shot that shows that they weren't really standing in front of each other, that he was off the side of it. And I said, "Do, do you want to see it? And first off, I thought he wouldn't want to see it. And then I thought when I showed it to him that he would say, no, no, no. This is from another time. That wasn't at this moment. Like he would deny you know that this that this was a conspiracy theory because the overhead shot clearly shows Kobe standing off to the side of Barnes um where he wouldn't have had it in his face and so I showed it to him and like he saw it and he just you could see like his shoulders sink a little bit he didn't challenge it at all he was like oh my god like
1: there is no easter bunny there's right. no santa claus
0: he just accepted it like oh my god i i guess i got to find a different favorite Kobe moment and then i felt really bad because you know i'm so used to you know, ever whenever you have conversations with Kobe fans, they just are rock solid in their opinions, and that's what makes it so much fun. Is that he is uh, a guy you can have conversations about his career because it is a gray area. And um, Tyler just like immediately recognized, and he's like, "Man, I've got to reevaluate this," and I just I felt bad about it.
1: It's Brian Winhorst in the Hoop Collective. I'm Andrew Hahn This week, a special episode from Chicago, from All-Star Weekend, about players and really people that had one worldview, one idea of something, and then have it altered dramatically.
0: We talked to all these players, we talked about these unexpected moments. Unexpected moments when they realized they were better than everybody, and the unexpected moments when they realized that they weren't.
1: So, on this week's Hoop Collective Podcast, The Unexpected.
0: Um, where are you going? Um, oh, we're wow. yeah. that's how we roll it. here. We just move like into it. Right into it. Um, so this is Pat you know, Connaughton. He plays 40. uh for the Milwaukee Bucks, comes off the bench. He's a guard. Um, he was a 41st pick in the draft uh, way back in 2015. So this is actually his fifth year. Didn't play much early in his career for Portland, but really found a role uh with Milwaukee's terrific team. And, you know, he's six foot five, 200 pounds. He's built really well, but he doesn't blow you away athletically you would not pass him on the street and think boy there is a freak athlete you'd say that's a tall guy um but in fact he is uh he was a star quarterback in college or in high school he was a star baseball player through 98 miles an hour uh, as a pitcher got drafted by the baltimore orioles in the fourth round but always wanted to play basketball and um you know he is the type of guy who just repeatedly you know, catches people off guard and surprises them with his ability. He probably got drafted because, um, he'd had a 44 inch vertical leap in the draft combine that year. It was the second highest vertical leap in the history of the draft combine, 44 inches. And he was a surprise, uh, candidate to make the slam dunk contest this year for a lot of people. But he's been surprising people for a long time.
3: I didn't do any hustling per se. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite basketball stories uh, actually involves one of my good friends, Shabazz Napier. Um, and I got recruited, basically, um, by an area close to where I went to high school, up on the North Shore in Boston, uh, to play in a, a game with them. Uh, it was one neighborhood versus another neighborhood. One oh, neighborhood on the North like Shore, uh... one neighborhood in Mission Hill Projects. Okay. And, uh, like West
0: Side Story, that kind of? A little bit. Okay.
3: And... I was good friends with all the guys in the, in the North Shore and I said, yeah, absolutely, no problem. Um, it was a Saturday afternoon and, uh, I vividly remember it. And,
0: how old are you at this point?
3: Uh, I was probably, it was before I committed to, it was probably my junior year of high school. Okay. Um, Shabazz had been committed to UConn, if not at UConn for summer school and came back. Um, okay. and I remember. And this is like
0: New York versus Boston action too here, right? Yeah, kind okay. of.
3: And so I remember, them inviting me to play and me saying yeah absolutely my dad asking where the game was because at the time i could drive myself and i said oh it's in mission hill right near you know uh, right near the reggie lewis center in roxbury and he was like oh like i'll come in with you and i was like all right like figured he wanted to watch a game of basketball i got a call from one of my buddies uh uh who was on the team that i was playing for when i was on my way and he said hey like before you get here like call us when you get the reggie lewis center we'll come get you and then you can come in i was like all right didn't think much of it um, when I got into the gym I I, I realized I was I was the only white guy in the gym and um, the level of yeah my dad the level of basketball that was being played was very high and that was those were situations I loved I loved being in those situations I loved playing against the best competition and the best part about it was when I stepped on the floor no one expected much of me now my buddies from the North Shore and the team that I was on understood what was what I was capable of but nobody else did Shabazz did a little bit because we had gone back and forth, uh, but everyone was focused on Shabazz. The whole gym was wondering when Shabazz going to be there, when Shabazz is going to be, there. and when Shabazz showed up, the place erupted mm. because it's technically a home game in, right. in, in their eyes for, for the team. And so game goes on, um, throughout the game, uh, I made a few shots, the gym started to wonder who I was, mm-hmm. and I remember going down the the right wing on a, on a fast break. Uh, one of my buddies, Jarrell, hit me on a bounce pass. I went up. A guy went up to block me, and I dunked on him. And the gym exploded. The game stopped. It's like the videos that you see now People on social on media. The floor. Correct. <laughs> and at that moment, the the whole atmosphere kind of changed in our favor. Now they Shabazz will tell you they went on to win the game uh, by three in the That's end. A shame. But uh, I remember after I dunked, um, going over, they took me out for a minute. Little kid running up to me and pointing to my dad and asking if I was related to him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that was very astute of observation. As with well. <laughs> uh, job. It was, it was good. but uh, So he wanted to go over and talk to my dad about how I was able to jump, which actually was also pretty astute of the kid to try to learn how he could be able to jump that high. So uh, it was one of my favorite basketball memories just because um, – you know, the city of Boston and the Massachusetts, that's where I'm from, and, and the people and places in that area have helped get me to where I am, um, but that's kind of the same type of shock and awe that people have had at every single level that I've gotten to.
0: But you are, you've always been a freak athlete, because you obviously are a pitcher, successful pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been a good shooter your career. You've been a stretch four and everything. Have you always been, like, multi-talented in this way? Like, what else? Do, what other talents do you have that maybe we don't know about? The world didn't know you could jump 44 inches. What else did we not know about, about you?
3: I tried to convince Coach Bray to let me play football, too, at Notre Dame. To play what position? Quarterback.
0: So can you throw the ball, like, 65 yards, too? Uh, I can throw it, like,
3: 50 from my knees. Really? Yeah, I think I've thrown it 80 before.
0: Well, you're a pitcher, so you figure. Yeah, I got some arm strength. So you played quarterback? Yeah, the in high two? school.
3: I got recruited a little bit before I stopped playing, um... And honestly the only reason I stopped playing was because it was a sport that I didn't start and like organized until high school and I didn't want
0: Do you put up big numbers in that too?
3: Ah uh, yeah I am pretty sure the, I You were the caught a, campus. I think I caught a touchdown, ran a touchdown, and threw a touchdown in one yeah. game.
0: Well, yeah. We're going to know your name.
3: Yeah. I guess. <laughs> but We'll see someday. Maybe um, I'll back up Tom
1: Brady. Brian, there's been this increasing belief in the past few years that the traditional big man, the skills of a big man is in the decline, it's being made obsolete in today's NBA, but you had a conversation with the 2018 number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton, and he seemed to push back on that notion.
0: Yeah, you know, DeAndre was very confident, and, and you know, it's been a rough year for him. I mean He got suspended for 25 games for steroids early in the season. Uh, the Suns really missed him really set them back Um, and he's had to watch as guys from his draft class have flourished Um, you know Trey Young and Luka Doncic are in the All-Star game Um, he didn't even play in the Rising Stars game because of an injury but he came to Chicago Um, and so not only was his confidence remarkable to me but I couldn't believe how strongly he pushed back and um, his sentiments on it caught me off guard Your see your numbers this year are really really good too you're have you're, you're having a really improved um, second season do, do you feel like uh you have taken a step forward despite what happened earlier on
4: me uh it ain't it ain't new to me I know I could have done that last yeah. year too um well you I had just,
0: great numbers last year
4: I could have been better yeah to me all that could have been better and yeah I hit this wall and said this, this thing called adversity early in the season yeah and yeah it did take away from what I you know, could have done what I could have potentially done throughout the season. And, you know, this is just that push where I have to put my head down and, you know, just show the world who I am, really, and, you know, show I could take a team over. are averaging 19-12. <laughs> that's,
0: pretty, I mean, that's pretty good. It's I could like have done satisfied, more. but, I mean, those that are pretty good numbers for a yeah, side player.
4: I'm disappointed. I could have done way more, though. What do you it's think, good. What have you been focusing on? Focusing on just dominance, just really taking over teams and, Especially my team, just taking it over and just you know letting people know who's watching it that we're the dominant team. Just trying to really work on that and bring that aggression and aggressiveness every night.
0: What do you think of when you see these teams that are like um, trying to play you off the floor, like the Rockets and other teams who are like? We don't- I laugh.
4: It's fun though. It's fun because you know you get to see your teammates make a lot of threes in the offensive board as mine. You know, uh, my, I see. you know, putting pressure on the rim, seeing how they part the red sea when I'm about to jump or. You know, seeing how they have to all, you know, just help on me when I roll to the basket. And, yeah. So as six far as you're five, concerned, play small ball. Go ahead. Six-five dudes can't do that. Six-seven, six-nine, no. is You need pressure on the rim, and you need a rim protector as well. So you're like, go ahead, and do it. Do just, it. You know. And it's not like I'm a big man who can't slide my feet. Yeah. Coach got Coach Monty got me switching on Devin Booker. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Ricky Rubio, you have to guard the ball. In this league, you have to guard. One-on-one. Is a thing, it is something in this league, and you know that part of you will be exposed if it's a weakness.
0: So, we got to talk to so many of these young guys that these guys are pretty confident because. Not only are they, you know, still pretty early in their lives and in the NBA, one of the 450 or so best players in the world, but even amongst their peers, their reason that they're at the All-Star Weekend is because they're a rising star. People are excited about them. So one of the things that we found very really interesting was asking them when they knew they were special, when they looked around at everybody else and said, I'm really good at this. I, I could be a professional basketball player. I could be an NBA player. And then, man, I may not be the best player in my city, my town, my region, my state. Um, because those are both really big moments that they've they've all uh, dealt with as they've gotten to this point. And so we're going to hear from uh, the Pelicans' uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, followed by his cousin, Shea Gillis-Alexander of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then uh, we'll hear from Pat Connaughton and then DeAndre Ayton. Um, how old were you when you realized um, I'm really good at basketball like I I I might be able to do this I'm I'm the best player on this team
5: still waiting for that day you know (laughs) Uh, um, I think my mom has done a great job like just giving me confidence uh, every day I think uh, just kind of believing in me Um, there's times I doubted myself and I could have been my own like critic just trying to be a lot better as a as a basketball player and wanted to trace greatness so much that I uh didn't really give myself much grace. And uh my mom, uh she did that for me since I started playing basketball to this day.
0: What why did you why did you doubt yourself?
5: Um I was just honest with myself and mm-hmm. like I'm from Scarborough, uh um, east side of Toronto. Name one other guy from Scarborough Eastside, Toronto, that's in the NBA. Right, it's
0: more, and, more uh, sort of the west suburbs, right?
5: Yeah, and uh there's a lot of guys that just come close and still haven't made it. So i always kept that reality, like, uh, you don't have time and feel like you've arrived Uh because you're still chasing something. You still got to get better because this guy's like LeBron. This guy's like um, even closer to my age, like Luca, Trey, uh, guys who are – trailblazing their own way in their second year um so i can't feel comfortable because i haven't accomplished anything yet
0: so who was a player that you saw when you were young you were like damn that guy is like really good like he's way better than me was your age
5: uh i never really thought everyone was way better than me but i always wanted to prove that i was better that was my thing yeah. um ninth grade sophomore year as well uh, the ESPN came, out was like, they're top 25, and I remember, like, anytime I got bored, I used to check that, that list, and uh, they're like, oh, you think that guy's good, okay, put me up against him, I want to prove that I'm better than him, I remember telling my mom that, like, when it's all said and done, I was going to be top 20 and leaving the country, and uh I was able to do that just because I knew, like, I work harder than anybody, but I know that when it's time to compete, no one wants it, as much as I do.
0: When did you become aware that like, man, I'm a really good basketball player?
6: Oof. I always had confidence in myself, but I would say going to my senior year of high school is when I, I really felt like I, I could be what I am today.
0: But had you committed by that point?
6: Um, I was committed to Florida and decommitted. Okay. And then committed to Kentucky. It was that kind of period.
0: Okay, I see. Yeah. But so, if, you, if you're, if Kentucky's after you, you know you're pretty good. Florida's after you, yeah. you know you're pretty good. Right. But, so who was the first player where you went up against and were like, whoa, maybe I, maybe that guy's better than me?
6: Um, LeBron James. Really? Yeah.
0: Just because of... Not maybe he was better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's <make some laughs> Um... Just because of, like, it's just size and speed.
6: Yeah, um, and you see it on TV, and obviously you, you see it and you know what it is, but there's nothing like actually playing with it.
3: So, it's a tricky question. I think when I was young, sixth grade, I started to realize that playing travel at this, you know, place called Fidelity House back home, uh, but that was just in the town of Arlington. Like, that's where I grew up. It wasn't a big town. Still, though. Um, but I think I started to realize it then. I mean, when I was in, like, first, second, and third grade, um, I got to play up. They let me play up. So at that moment, I knew I, I wasn't the best player on my team because I was playing against guys older, but I, I really liked it. Really enjoyed it. But once I got to high school, I went to a high school that I didn't know anybody. 1,300 all boys, very good athletically. Mm-hmm. And everyone from my town was worried I wasn't going to be able to compete there. Worried why I didn't go. Maybe they just wanted me to go to town high school, but they didn't think I could compete there. And then once I made varsity as a freshman, once I started to become the best player as a sophomore, um, it was the same same story. You're, you're great in high school, but if you want to play college sports, you'll play baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things started to change. Finally, I got some offers from, from schools. and went to Notre Dame and it was the same story. You're great in college, but you'll play baseball professionally if you want to, If you have a chance to play pro at anything, um, so I think for me, it was always trying to fight that uphill. So maybe battle. you never did. Yeah, maybe I mean, and yeah, I'm I'm pretty able to admit I'm not the best player on my team right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, when did you realize you were not the best player on your team? Did that happen in high school or did it happen in college? Or when
3: uh you- I would say. I mean, college, we had some, some great players. I would say it was different. Like, yeah. one of my closest friends, Jaron Grant, played in the NBA. Um, you know, my senior year, I would say we were both, I mean, he he put up better numbers than me, but I think he would say that without me, we wouldn't have been as good either. So I think we had a good little uh, one-two punch or 1A, 1B, if you will. Uh, but as I got to the NBA, I obviously knew my role was going to be different, and I think one thing that young guys, especially second-round draft picks, struggle with is you've been the man the entire, your entire career. It's going to be different at the NBA level. You need to buy into that very quickly, kind of like I'm buying into the underdog story in the dunk contest. Right. Like, you need to buy into that quickly.
0: Um, let me ask you this. How old were you when you realized you were the best player on your team and like, maybe you were going to hmm. be really good at
4: basketball? I never really had that thought to myself, the way I grew up, you know, just having that I. I never really, you know, had that, you know, conscience or, you know, thought in my head. I just...
0: Did people expect you to play basketball just because you were tall?
4: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Me, I just wanted to be an architect. My older brother drew a lot. Yeah. Blueprints, working with my dad, and, you know, I just wanted to be a part of it. Is that was your dad? Does he do that? Yeah. He had his own plumbing business and seeing all the blueprints on how to, you know, put stuff together and build things. I was into it. You could do that maybe after your career? Maybe. Maybe. That's a lot of work, though. That's stressful. Yeah. That's a stressful job. Yeah. This, playing the NBA is not stressful? It's stressful, but fun. Yeah. Stressful, but fun. At least I get to put you know put my angle on the rim or something.
0: So when was the first time you played somebody and you were like, wow, that guy's really good. That guy's better than me.
4: Yeah. I don't know what better than me, but definitely, you know, way more experience. Okay. Yes. Jokic is my, like, number one guy I really, like, look up to in this league and how he takes over his team and... You know how he maneuvers the ball and how he uses his body. That's my number one guy. So some guys are
0: watching LeBron. They watch Kobe. You're watching Jokic. Jokic, yeah. Because of like his way he passes and his footwork. Trust I me, think.
4: that dude knows he knows what he's doing. I've seen it. Versatile, in and out.
0: I like how he just doesn't care what anybody thinks.
4: No, nah, he, he 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 he's just do. like I'm going to be who yeah. I am. I don't care what you think here. I'm and he be. he's competing. And he's going at you, and I'm going at him. So that's that's one of my main guys. So you, you and him sort of play old
0: school. You don't shoot threes. Like, mm-hmm. all these centers are like, oh, God, I got to go out there and shoot threes. You don't shoot them.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, you're basically wagering that. Yeah. Being tallest, which was important in the NBA for 70 years, mm-hmm. is still going to be important for another 70. And, like, that's the way Jokic plays too. He, does, I mean, he shoots threes a little bit, but he plays inside. Right?
4: He has too. We have to. We have to put some type of... We have to have some type of high-percentage shot. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. If we need a two-pointer in order to get that three-pointer, we're just not going to come out the gate shooting threes. We need a pick and roll to get open. Six, five do not going to set a good pick. They're going right. to switch it. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? You need some type of mismatch. You need some advantage in the game. You can't It can't be even. It's never even.
1: That was Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Shea Gildas alexander Matt Connaughton, and DeAndre Ayton.
0: Just admit it, sometimes we're not all the best at taking time to prepare a healthy breakfast because you're always on the go. Sometimes it's a protein bar, or a leftover, maybe a frozen food, and usually they leave something to be desired. But now that McChicken breakfast sandwiches are on the McDonald's breakfast menu, I don't think anyone can go back to their old breakfast life. That's breakfast worth getting up for. It's time to change your life for breakfast. Buttery, crispy McChicken biscuits and savory, sweet McChicken griddles, freshly prepared and now available nationwide at McDonald's. That's how you wake up breakfast, at participating McDonald's for a limited time.
1: This is Brian Winhorst and the Hoop Collective All-Star Weekend Special Edition. We've been talking about the unexpected. Brian, what's been something that's been unexpected for you this
0: weekend? Um, My conversation with Niccolo Melli from the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm sorry, who? Exactly. Um, Probably the most unexpected man at All-Star Weekend because um, he made the Rising Stars game uh, as a 29-year-old rookie. Um, He was a To say he was a last-minute addition is an understatement. He found out Thursday morning that he was going to replace DeAndre Ayton in the game and that he would, instead of going to the Bahamas like he had planned with his family uh, for vacation, instead he was going to be taking a private plane that night with Zion Williamson and other people from the Pelicans up to Chicago. I have heard stories about when you play for Milano, that you, not just you, I mean, like, okay, when anybody good, plays for Milano. That's good, that's good, okay. Um, I don't know stories about you playing for Milano. I'm that's totally very, that's ignorant. Even, that's I have no matter. idea anything oh, that you did. Perfect. For all I know, you were awful or you okay. were great. Okay, perfect. But I've heard stories about if you play, when you play for Milano, that Armani takes care of you with free yeah. gear. Is that true? Do you Ooh. get tremendous Armani gear when you well, play
6: for Well, um, I will say that he treats us very well. And uh, I really miss miss the Christmas gifts and, uh, you know, the bonus cards. Well, you have to
0: tell us, like, what are these Christmas gifts like? No, just, uh,
6: you know, I think Armani is a worldwide uh, known brand and is known for the elegance and for the... You know this style.
0: Now you're doing a commercial.
6: No, I'm not I doing a commercial. I want to I'm know saying what,
0: what gear you were getting.
6: Everything. Right. That's everything. what I. That's everything, what I thought. Everything. Everything. Right. Everything.
0: And plus, somebody your size is kind of hard to get. It's every right.
6: everything was sumi Everything was.
0: So you played for them for what four years? Five. Five years. Yeah. So you have. Unfortunately,
6: enough. after I left, after I left Milano, I put up, I put some some pounds on. Okay. So all the stuff I had from those years. Now they're a little bit small. But
0: that is tragic. Yeah. So when your NBA career is done, you can just go back. Yeah, go on a diet. You yeah, lose the muscles. No. Go oh. back and oh, fight for oh, them again. Oh, okay, okay. Now you're you're an NBA star. Okay. And you well. can and you can get, you know, the same I think you know, I don't need stars. I don't need that. No. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this. How old were you when you kind of figured out I'm the best player on my team?
6: Oh, I was pretty young, honestly. Honestly, I was very young. I think I was six, seven. Right. The thing, like because you were kind of
0: sitting on the bench when you were thirteen, with yeah.
6: Okay, that's that's another uh, funny story. But um, our system in in Italy is different, so we have the youth program, and then uh, there is no college or high school. Right. So. And I was always playing with uh, teams older like older than me, and you know I was playing good, so I always understand i was I was good at it and then of course, you know when you step into the pro uh teams is different you know it's adapting they know how to play They're like it 's different than than here so and when
0: you were seven, you kind of knew like wait a minute, i might
6: no 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 i was i I was just basketball was was easier to me than to other teammates. Mm-hmm. Then from saying at seven I'm going to play in the NBA. No. But it was my dream, of course, yeah. but I would never say that, like, it was not even in my thoughts.
0: And so when you were 13 and, you like, they brought you up, like you didn't play, Yeah. in America you would be like, um, you would sort of be on the varsity for the game. You okay. would dress and warm up for yeah. the game yeah. in high school. But yeah. what was that like when you were with the pros uh, when you were 13?
6: I start shaking when they told me. Um, it was a game in Pesaro, and honestly I had my weekend planned out, cause I don't know, there was some kind of break with the, with the school.
0: You're going to the Bahamas. No, I wasn't going <laughs> to the Bahamas.
6: I was going on the mountain with friends. Okay. Something easy, couple, couple of nights, and I was 13, so I couldn't do anything crazy. Not that I do crazy stuff. Naturally, I Absolutely. would never think that. Yes. Never. And um, and not in my, my, um, Youth program coach called me and say, "Nick, you're going, you're going to Pesaro with the first team." And basketball in my hometown is a big, big thing, big deal. So I was like, "What you're talking about?" So I gave the phone to my father because I remember he was. It was late night, so he was already in bed. So I said that, talk to him because he's. I don't know what he's talking about." And it was real. So the the morning after, I had to go practice with the team. And practice. these
0: guys were how old?
6: professional like like i think we had players with 35 okay so and some other with 22 like it was a professional team
0: right pro team and you are thir- just so the people listen 13. to this 13 with 13 years yeah. old you 13. were how tall
6: like this more or, or less nine. yeah okay. yeah well maybe a little bit less but okay yeah the thing i was You did not have
0: a beard at that time no i didn't have a
6: beard i was super skinny and uh i was just amazing and i remember the drive down i was so excited that i couldn't stop talking. At one point, the coach, the same coach that called me was driving me down. said, listen, Nick, you need to shut up. Please. <laughs> and, uh, and nothing. And that was, what I are the, the, never What were the
0: players like when they looked at you? Were they like, what the hell is this? Uh, no, no, because. They knew uh, you.
6: They knew you. They, they, some, because, as I said, basketball was a big thing in my home. So sometimes the, the the players were coming to see, to watch the, the, the games of the youth okay. program. You know, it's a very small town. So they were coming. And they knew me and you know, and they, back then there was a big connection between the youth program and the first team. Okay. No, there was a sense of community, I would okay. say. And so they knew me. Of course I was thirteen. It was a surprise because I in that game other two teammates of mine were in the in the team, but they were like three or four years older than yeah, me. Yeah. So they were already 17 seventeen, eighteen. 13, I was like... I couldn't believe it was... It's like
0: Ruby, Rubio kind of went through that a little bit yeah, in but, Spain, too. Yeah,
6: but Rubio Rubio was unique in, yeah. in Spain. He was phenomenal already with 13. He was averaging, I don't yeah. know, 50, 30, and 20 every game. So.
0: How popular was Kobe in Italy? Um, like, when you were growing up and he was in the league.
6: He was... He is super popular. Mm-hmm. Plus, where I come from, uh, his father played in our hometown, in my hometown, sorry, uh, two years. So we felt it like one of ours, you know. And even though I've never met him, I've never talked to him. And uh, I know one of his dearest friends in Italy. And uh, so everybody was looking up to him. I remember, you know, watching games with friends and, you know, trying to emulate him to try, you know, to, to hit his step back or turn around, mm-hmm. all this stuff, and it was his big, yeah.
0: I mean, there were Italians in the NBA that were successful, and Bargnani was number one pick, you yeah. know, when you were probably a teenager, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, So you had other people to look up to, but Kobe was still most popular?
6: Yeah, Kobe. We are talking about different levels. not Like nothing against Bargnani, right, Gallinari, like talking about Kobe Bryant. We were right. talking about something. Like Kobe Ryan was our Michael Jordan the Michael Jordan of our generation, so
0: and the fact that he spoke the language and would come. Oh, in. that was
6: cool. that was yeah. that was super cool. And you know, and I understood that also playing abroad, that when the fans hear you as a foreigner speaking your la- their language, they feel even more involved. And so right. for us, you know, hearing Kobe talk our you know Italian. It was like, wow, he's Italian, you know, somehow. And it, it was truly like that, too. You know, he he came back in my hometown a couple of summers ago uh, to do a small event. But from a small event, it became huge right. because it was Kobe. And it was Kobe, and he was just walking around the city, going by ice cream, saying hi to everybody because we felt like that he was one of ours. So it was not a big deal. It was. You know, Kobe Bryant, the kid, he grew up here. And even though he won, uh, I don't know how many rings and uh, he scored how many points, it was still the Kobe that he was riding his bike to go and buy ice cream. I think he said it too in a couple of interviews. And uh, yeah, Kobe was just huge for us.
0: Nice Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Hoop Collective. If you like this, please let us know in the reviews. We always appreciate it when you rate and review the podcast. Before we go, uh, earlier when we had the players talk about when they knew they were the best, uh, where they were in their careers and what they were thinking, well, Tyler Hero can't remember almost the time when he didn't think he was the best. Um, if you watched him play at all at Kentucky or for the Heat this year, he's a pretty confident guy, and here's the reason why. When did you realize that you were like, hey, I'm the best player on my team? Like, how old were you? And you're like, I might be pretty good. At uh, probably like four.
2: Crazy. <laughs> yeah. But,
0: like, you were, like, probably were dominating yeah. games, like, for a long time. Yeah, right? always. Uh-huh. And, like, I'm sure you played good competition. Mm-hmm. But were you, like, regularly, like, best player on the court?
2: And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, playing against different teams, is different players that might be better you know traveling around the country as a, as a young young kid but I, on my team I was always probably the best player I'd say.
0: Who was the first guy you saw where you were like whoa that guy is really good like he might be better than me?
2: Uh, I would say Cam Reddish probably. Okay,
4: A
0: lot of people say Cam Reddish.
2: Yeah. Cam yeah he had 30 in the game we played him.